Attention all. Do you have a passion you want to showcase or have a drive to inspire the community? Apply for the Centennial Campus Community Programming Grant today at go.ncsu.edu slash grant for a chance to earn $2,000. The views and opinions expressed during Iron the Triangle do not represent WKNC or NC State student media. Your dial is currently tuned into Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1 FM HD1. Thanks for listening. Hello, guys. This is Abigail Ali with Eye on the Triangle. I am the assistant news editor for Technician, and I am here with Avery Davis, and I'm the news editor at Technician. And today we're going to be following the same format as our weekly news last week where Abigail and I will each present three news tidbits to each other about either NC State or Raleigh, just our surrounding areas. And we're just going to present to each other and, you know, discuss. So that's pretty much it. We'll go ahead and get started. And since I went first last week, Abigail will go first this week. So for my first tidbit this week, I will be talking about a Lifetime movie that is set in Wilmington that is now out. Line Sisters is a thriller set in Wilmington, North Carolina. It's about four sorority sisters who went to Wilmington for a Black Greek weekend celebration. Some strange stuff starts going down when the threat of the truth from a secret dating back 15 years ago tries to come out. It is an hour and a half long and can be streamed on Amazon Prime and Lifetime. I found this piece of news pretty interesting because I find it really strange when popular culture finds its or popular media finds its way into North Carolina. I usually think of when it does happen, like the Outer Banks show or Nicholas Sparks, but I found this one really intriguing because it's actually a thriller, which is very interesting. That is really interesting. I haven't heard about this, but yeah, like you said, it's always exciting when North Carolina is featured in a movie or TV show, even though with Outer Banks, they didn't even film it here. Hashtag fake. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said a hashtag out loud. (laughs) That's so cringe. Anyway, but yeah, that's really cool. I haven't heard about that and excited to watch that. So I'm going to talk about a really cool organization here at NC State called Freedom by Design. And Freedom by Design is a club of architecture students who use their skills as design students to provide service to the community. And this club is under the American Institute of Architecture Students. And they're currently working on a playground for the Governor Moorhead School, which is a school for the visually impaired. And they've been working on this playground for a few years. They had some setbacks because of COVID, but they are still working on it. And it's really interesting because the current playground right now is actually pretty not great for visually impaired um, children. There's slides and a swing set and the swing sets are facing the slides, which are apparently out of code, according to Brooklyn Scotto, who is the co-president of the club. And whenever it rains, it floods their dorms because it doesn't have any drainage. There's literally no railings that let students know 
who have canes, where to walk. It's just not great. So they're working on it. And the estimated cost of building this new playground is they estimate $100,000. And they've received some money from a grant and from fundraising, but they are still looking to fundraise and they have a GoFundMe. And you can find more information about them on the School of Design website. They're called Freedom by Design. And I think they're a really great organization, a bunch of students spending their, you know, free time to design something for these disabled children. So it's pretty awesome. And like I said, they're still looking for fundraising. And if you want to get involved, then you can, you know, check out their website. Also, if you want to learn more about this project, you can check out the Technician website and read the article where I talked to Drew Dunphy and Brooklyn Scoto, who are both the co-presidents of the organization. Yeah, I thought that project was really impressive, being that it's like an NC State student club. Not even, I mean, I guess it is an organization, but like usually when you hear the word club, you don't think of them doing like, giant legitimate projects like that all the time and so it's really fascinating that they're able to do such a big service for the community it's very cool the next tidbit i wanted to talk about was raleigh pop-up markets because since i've been at nc state my favorite thing to do is go to all the little pop-up markets that they have So the pop-up markets are these little events that are held around different locations in Raleigh. Multiple small businesses or vendors come and set up booths where they sell all their little goodies and kind of advertise their shops. Um, Some are at nighttime, some are during the day, some are in the week or in the weekends. And they're just like the funnest thing ever and a great way to learn more about Raleigh or... A great way to like support local businesses which is a great time in my opinion so my favorite way to find out about these markets are through instagram some of my favorite things to follow there are triangle pop-up pop-up raleigh and the raleigh night market and then i also like to the ral today account is a news account but they also tend to let you know when there's cute little markets popping up everywhere. I also like to follow the different vendors. Once I've been to a market, any of the vendors that I like, I like to follow them as well because they will also let you know when they're going to be at a market and you can check it out. So yeah, 10 out of 10 experience for a cute little outing with friends. That is really interesting to hear. My sister goes to UNCW, so every time I go to visit her in Wilmington, we usually go to pop-up markets in Wilmington, and I always think they're so cool, and I don't know why it never occurred to me that, like, they probably exist in other places, like, you know, Raleigh. So I'm definitely going to look into some of those accounts because I love a pop-up market. We got to support small businesses, people, okay? Love to hear it. So the next tidbit I want to talk about is something that happened on Wednesday, February 16th. The NC State Graduate Workers Organizing Committee, which is like the NC State Grad Student Union or the Workers Union, held a demonstration outside of Holiday Hall in protest of current working conditions and policies related to COVID-19. So the protesters were holding signs with messages that said, Randy is not protecting the pack. He's protecting his wallet and endowment. Oops, that's crazy. 
and then other ones that say NC State works because we do. So this was a part of the Southern Workers Assembly had a statewide day of action and all of these demonstrations were protesting different COVID-19 policies and work conditions and they were calling for things like paid sick leave, employer provided N95 masks, and just better sanitary conditions in work, all that kind of stuff. And I think it was really interesting. Alex Wall, who is a grad worker, said that right now, if employees get exposed, they have some time that they are allowed to quarantine and wait for their test results. But if they actually test positive for COVID, they have to use their personal or their sick leave in order to like wait out their COVID, which is obviously they think that they shouldn't have to use their leave, their personal leave to quarantine when they feel like the university has put them into the conditions to catch COVID. So I just think that is something interesting that is happening on campus. I feel like you don't often hear about what's going on with the graduate students and different workers on campus. So it's good to kind of know where they're at and what they're feeling. Yeah, I definitely get that because they, most of them are teachers, right? Yeah, and I I definitely get that because they're made to sit in a room full of students and it kind of sucks that if they get sick, they can't really do anything about it. Or if they do, they have to use up their own time. Yeah, I definitely get that. That's definitely interesting. If you want to read more about this protest and some of the demonstrators' reasons for protesting, then you can also check out the technician article that was posted on Wednesday. For my final tidbit of the week, I also wanted to shout out an NC State uh, a technician article. Um, so NC State recently received $16 million to invest in an eSport infrastructure thing. They are going to be creating an eSport facility and truck. And it's kind of to advance the North Carolina community around eSports, I guess. Um, the initiative, I thought, fits into NC State very well as computer science and like gamer science and media studies is kind of a big deal. I also know that NC State is also really big into like the VR stuff with like the libraries and communications media definitely is very invested in things like gamer and user experience and how that affects people on a personal level. So I think it's really interesting, and I'm excited to see where it goes. I also thought this was really interesting because, I will be frank, I had no idea what esports meant before reading this article that Christina Group did great on. And I really thought esports was like video game sports, which it is, but I thought it was more like FIFA, that kind of deal. But in reality, other it's all I think it's other types of gaming so or other types of games. So I think that's pretty cool. I think it's kind of random that, like, NC State is making a big esports thing. I mean, I think it's cool because we have, like, a pretty great computer science program and stuff here. So when I did figure out what esports actually meant, I was a little surprised that NC State received, like, however much money, $16 million. But I think that's dope. 
And yeah. So my last tidbit for today is going to be the Van Gogh immersive experience that is coming to Raleigh in March. So I don't know if you guys see this all over Instagram all the time also, but I see it on my Instagram a lot. Like I get ads for it and it was in Charlotte this past year and now they're having one come to Raleigh as well. And this is basically a 20,000 square foot light and sound spectacular featuring two story projections of the artist's Van Gogh's most compelling works. And you can, it says you can encounter the brilliance of one of history's greatest artists in 360 degrees. So it's really cool if you look up pictures of it. It looks like a really interesting experience. They project a bunch of Van Gogh pieces up onto walls and have this cool interactive experience. And they also have a virtual reality thing that it says it guides you through a 10-minute journey through a day in the life of the artist. Walk alongside Van Gogh during this peaceful, visually rich journey to discover the inspiration behind eight of his iconic works. And to be honest, I always thought that this experience was kind of, it looked cool, but I wasn't, I was never sure if I wanted to actually go to it because it just looked like they were projecting like paintings on the wall which is cool but this VR thing seems really cool where you get to walk alongside Van Gogh whatever that means um and kind of go through a day in the life of the artist so I'm interested in that and it says the visit takes around 60 to 75 minutes it is going to be in a secret location in Raleigh which is going to be announced soon so keep your eyes peeled for that and ticket prices start at $35 for adults and $20 for children and like I said I was never sure if I wanted to pay $35, and for some reason I always thought it was more expensive than that, but it does seem pretty cool, and I love Van Gogh, so I think I'm definitely going to go to this. Yeah, that sounds so freaking dreamy. Like, honestly, if you need somebody to go with you, let's go. Let's go, let's go sit and watch Van Gogh all day. That, was, that sounds like a great time. I would love to do that. But anyways, yeah, you guys, check it out. That sounds like a great time. Well, guys, that is all we have for you this week. We hope you enjoyed it, and thanks for having us. Again, this is Abigail and Avery, and check us out next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. For this next segment, I, Janini Kekwa, interviewed Isaac Lund, who was a junior at Green Hope High School in Cary, North Carolina. I spoke to him about a nonprofit that he started with a group of other high schoolers called Service Speakers. This nonprofit provides free science lessons to over 3,600 students, and so far over the past year, it has raised over 50,000 for the organization. Specifically, Isaac and I are going to talk about how he started this organization and how he was able to raise so much money. Isaac, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so, well, first of all, thank you for having me on, you know, on the show. It's, it's always a pleasure to get the word out and talk about the things we've been doing. Um, a bit about myself. So I'm a junior at Green Hope High School, which is based in Cary. Um, you know, I, I've been at Green Hope for the past three years. I started this nonprofit called Service Speakers, like you were talking about, my freshman year. Um, this was a group of, you know, uh, middle schoolers. I went to, you know, I met, went to middle school with them. And we decided to, you know, coming into high school, start this program. 
um, in response to the educational deficiencies that we'd noticed were across North Carolina. Um, so if you don't know, North Carolina is actually ranked uh, between 35th to 50th, uh, somewhere between there um, in terms of primary and elementary uh, middle school education. And so we, we understood these statistics and we decided to sort of attack that, that issue that we noticed by you know, developing this free science program that provides free science lessons to um, students across the triangle. So uh, last year, we actually provided it to over 3,600 students through virtual learning. And this year, we decided to scale our project a little bit further um, to a group of underprivileged Honduran students. Uh, it's actually a middle school um, that St. Michael's Church has been working with. And we decided to you know, take some effort into um, raising electronics and funding to actually transform their whole educational experience um, by introducing them to technology. So what is like the story behind why you started this organization? Because I know you talked about um, you, there was an educational gap that you felt needed to be filled, but like what else was able, what else happened that allows you to um, start, that inspired you to start this organization? Yeah, so, you know, this educational deficiency part is definitely a huge part of the narrative we were pushing for. But, you know, I think at the root of all of it is actually my, my dad's struggle with ALS for the past seven years, um, six, seven years now. So, you know, he's been struggling with this and it's definitely taken a mental toll on me. And like I said, we did begin in middle school and the apex of when all of this sort of mental, these mental issues that were happening to me as a result of my dad's diagnosis were during middle school. And, you know, going through these challenges and ultimately transitioning to high school, I, you know, I just felt inspired and I wanted to overcome, you know, the barriers that I was facing. And that's when I decided to, you know, step up and I looked at, you know, other role models across the community and even across the world, just stories of, of other people going on and overcoming obstacles and doing great things. Um, and I decided to use that as inspiration to, you know, overcome, overcome the, the issues um, associated with my dad's struggle. And I use that to launch my nonprofit and reflect that whole idea of, how I was empowered to overcome any of these obstacles onto, you know, any other students who, if they're struggling with educational deficiencies or if they're struggling during the pandemic, you know, any things of this nature, any obstacle they face, I wanted to sort of reflect the idea of, you know, being empowered and overcoming any obstacle you face, just as I did with my dad's ALS. So you launched this organization in middle school, right? So it was actually the, the beginning of my freshman year. So I think it was actually the okay. summer before my freshman year. So it was, you know, somewhere in that, that area, yeah. Okay, starting a nonprofit is an extremely huge task. And then having a nonprofit that is raised over like 60,000 is like the next level of that. Um, how were you able to launch this nonprofit? Yeah, so it's definitely, I'll say this, it's definitely been a slow experience. Um, you know, just getting started, we were hoping just to, you know, do a few schools here and there just to help a few kids. Um, I don't think we ever could have imagined it, you know, was brought to the scale that it's currently at. Um, you know, we took baby steps. We started getting introduced to the, you know, the whole world of, you know, especially in the triangle, there's a huge amount of support and businesses and um, other things going on. So I think it was the perfect place to start a nonprofit or to base one. Um, and we found as we kept going, we gained more skills that allowed us to really, you know, reach the goals that we we're hoping for and even actually go beyond them um, and do all these great things. What kind of impact is service speakers able to make in its community? So, you know, like I said, um, you know, last year we actually provided our free science lessons across uh, the triangle. I think maybe even outside the triangle uh, across Wake County um, to over 3,600 students through our virtual science lessons. Um, these are done to eight different elementary and middle schools. And, you know, it was just when the kids run their Google Meet and 
we would you know hop into those Google Meets and we provide you know a pretty neat science lesson and even even some of them we we provided materials to the kids so over you know a delivery um, so that way the students could have them you know while they're asynchronous they can follow along with the activities and we sort of uh, guide them through the process um you know and in addition to that you know whole tri triangle effort like I said we've also expanding it, expanded it into Honduras in, in recent uh, months. Um, so the organization has been able to do a lot already since it's been around. So I want to know, where do you see your nonprofit going in a couple of years, like five years? Yeah, so that's definitely, you know, it's all up to speculation. I will say at this current moment, you know, of course, Honduras, working on Honduras and raising those electronic and Funding for the kids is definitely one of our main focuses right now in getting that whole campaign wrapped up. Um, but another thing we're wanting to do is, you know, expand our original mission of uh, teaching kids to overcome any obstacle that they face um, even further, even across other states even. Um, and this is all, you know, part of the whole idea of, um, you know, especially in, in, in the pandemic and the context of how everyone might be struggling, especially the young ones with their learning and how they've just had this huge educational gap that has been, you know, pretty extremely devastated. Um, we decided, you know, this is a pretty global issue of these kids, of these obstacles that these kids are facing. Any way that we could spread our mission would always be a great one. So as far as how we're going to do that, um, at the current moment, we're hoping to start chapters across other states, like I said. At the moment, we've actually already had, I think, between 20 and 25 chapters that have registered, um, expressing interest in getting started and spreading, you know, like what we do here in the triangle off to other states. So in five years, the idea is, you know, I'll go off to college, of course, but I'm hoping that we can keep this a freshly high school organization because that's what it is at its roots. Um, and high schools can bring that sort of, you know, that fresh idea of over overcoming any obstacle that they face to you know, any students, any, any people across their whole community, even if it's, you know, in far off places across other states. Mm -hmm. Through the like amazing work that service speakers have done, they have been able to raise, you guys have been able to raise 60,000, which is a lot of money. So how, like, how did you raise that much money? Like, how were you able to do it? Yeah, so, you know, just to sort of clarify the, the you know, the 50,000, so 50,000 of it is, you know, the actual worth in electronics that we've raised. And then $10,000 is in you know, raw funding that we have that's for, you know, for furbishing, packaging, things like that. Um, all, of course, you know, cumulatively equating to $60,000. So as far as we did that, you know, it's definitely been a, a pretty tedious process. Um, I will say the main way we did it is uh, we just took as many shots as possible. We reached out to as many people as possible. Um, obviously, we're in the triangle, which, like I said, there's a huge amount of businesses and, and startups and things like that going on. So we found it was the perfect place, um, you know, to reach out to local organizations, see if they had any devices, um, you know, even just doing regular crowdsourcing on Nextdoor app. Um, or reaching out to churches and things like that and seeing if they can get the word out. Um, and we found whether in a combination of both directly asking if organizations can donate, as well as asking if they can simply promote our program, we found that this was able to be the perfect amount to sort of secure the amount that we were looking for and even uh, go beyond that. Um, you know, and as far as one of our main donors, our most recent one is actually um, Wolfspeed, which is actually a company that was started at NC State. Um, or from NC State graduates. And so they actually just very recently donated, I think somewhere between 50 and 100 laptops to us. So they're really generous. So, you know, it's just examples like this, right? You just sort of reach out to as many organizations as possible. And, you know, eventually the more you reach out to, uh, odds are at least one of them is going to, you know, want to support you. And that's how we were able to secure the amount that we did. 
Um, specifically, how do you see your organization continuing to make a change in your community? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, the whole idea of the whole root of our whole organization, like I said, is to empower kids to overcome any obstacle that they face. And we always try to stress that teaching them science is one of the greatest ways to do that because, you know, I'm a personal really, I'm, a, I'm personally a huge fan of science, obviously. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a really great way to captivate students' interests. I think it's one of the most interesting subject, subjects to study. And I think using that as sort of a medium to um, get students engaged in their learning again, I think it's a very powerful thing. So, you know, at its root, um, can, continuing to keep uh, students empowered and overcoming any obstacles that they face and teaching them to go out and do great things. I think that's what we're gonna continue to drive. And, you know, as far as what that's gonna look like, you know, it's hard, it's hard to speculate, but I'm only hoping that we're just gonna keep expanding and, and keep doing what we're doing and hopefully reach as many kids as possible and convince as many as possible that they truly can do anything that they, that they wanna do. And, you know, they will face obstacles, but in the end, they can always overcome them. And that's the one thing that we try to stress to all of our students. So I know you talked about um, you give lessons like you you make engaging um, lessons for the students over like online. You talked about like the Google Meet and everything. Um, what are some other ways like you're able to like, engage with students? Yeah, so there's plenty of ways. So actually, just recently, you know, with the pandemic sort of dying down um, and things sort of shifting back to normal. This year, we've actually sort of approaching a hybrid model. So we say that as in it's both virtual as well as in person. Now, obviously, you know, the whole Honduras project has been a main focus of this first semester of school. Um, but, you know, as far as, you know, teaching the students, the second semester are really getting started and we're actually going to be doing our first set of in-person instruction. So we've partnered with various museums, such as Marvel's Kids Museum, um, and we're going to be in the month of February, I believe we're starting. Um, we're actually going to be uh, like guest our scientists and they're going to give us pretty good platforms to sort of present our lessons. And hopefully we can, you know, bring our same mission that we've of teaching science to kids that we've done in virtual learning you know, now into in-person learning. So it's going to be a pretty transformative experience, not only for the students, but also for us, right? Because this is the first time ever doing it in person. So we're really looking forward to, to seeing how that goes. But, you know, overall, that that's that's how we're going to be doing that. You mentioned um, your partnership with students in Honduras. And I wanted to know, like, how did that come to be? Because I feel like there's so many countries out there with students that you could help. Like, why did you pick Honduras? Yeah, so uh, it all came down to, uh, I've been a member at my local church, St. Michael the Archangel Church, which is also based here in Perry for, I think, a decade now, maybe even more than that. Um, and they actually have a sister parish in Honduras. Um, and it's, you know, it's in an area that's where the students are very underprivileged. The school is, um, you know, it doesn't have all the, the, the best conditions and the best resources that it can have. And, you know, just knowing this from an early age um, about how St. Michael's has this program, I really knew about that and I saw that as an opportunity to expand what we're doing here in North Carolina um, to students that need it. And it wasn't so much about, you know, I just arbitrarily, you know, picked Honduras out of the blue. It's just I knew that the resources and the avenue was already set up um, to support the Honduran students. And I felt like if I was going to help any students that were, you know, particularly underprivileged, um, this would be the greatest avenue to do that or the most efficient um, and most realistic way of doing it. Um, so just knowing that that existed, I decided to pursue it, and it's been great so far. And actually, we're planning um, our, our shipment of electronics and, and all the resources are actually going to be shipped out in the final week of February. So um, and throughout the month of February, we're going to be working on you know, refurbishing, getting all the things set up. And in the final week of February, it's all going to be shipped on to the students. 
So throughout the interview, it's been extremely evident that this organization is doing amazing things. So I want you to tell the audience, like, what are some ways that they can support you? Yeah, so to support us, um, you know, of course, this campaign, as far as, you know, donating to our campaign, I think, you know, it is already coming to a close and we have fortunately very, you know, we're grateful that we have reached the goals that we're hoping for and it will be an overall successful project as far as getting the electronics uh, shipped over. But as far as the root of our organization, again, um, what we're trying to do is, you know, broaden our mission of empowering students and empowering people no matter what conditions they face. And to support our initiative, you know, just any sort of monetary donation or even getting the word out. If your kid likes science or, you know, any kids that like science and they want to participate in this program, you know, they can definitely reach out to us. Our website is, you know, www.servicespeakers.com um, or you can just look up service speakers. It will show up. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can send us an email. Let us know that you're interested. And we can see if we can work something out, whether it's being uh, partnering with a local museum or even just partnering with your school as a whole. And then that way we can, you know, visit them in person. So, you know, anything like this, if you're interested, that's always a great way to support our initiative. Um, and we're very, very grateful for any amount of help that we can get. Yeah. Thank you so much for letting me interview Isaac. It has been a pleasure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me again. This has been really great meeting with you. And I hope, you know, if, if there's anything anyone can get out of this is, now, if you're ever facing any obstacles, especially in light of the pandemic and how things have been kind of gloomy lately, just know that, you know, you can overcome it. And, you know, I faced this with my dad for several years here with his ALS. And, you know, it was a struggle at first, but I ultimately overcame it. And it was for the best, I think, because it allowed me to reflect that same positivity and optimism to students all across the triangle. And you know, I just hope that I can relay that same idea to any people listening out there. Thank you for listening, and you can listen to more episodes at wknc.org slash podcasts. And you can also tune in every Sunday at 6 p.m. to hear new Eye on the Triangle episodes. Music in this episode has been Newsroom, provided by Kevin McLeod, and Deja Vu, provided by Halzina.